everybody, welcome back to We and You, where we talk about the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights and a little bit about what's going on in our area. I am Terrence Sullivan. And I'm Brittany Cook. I got a dollar. I got a dollar. Hey, so hey, hey, speaking hey. of dollars, my dollar. boss is making me do a time study at work. Yeah, your boss sucks. Right? <laughs> I got a dollar. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> We're broadcasting from beautiful downtown Louisville here in the historic Hayburn building. As a reminder, any views expressed on the program do not represent those of Forward Radio or its board of directors. Hey, everybody. So last week, we talked about our favorite Supreme Court justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and her unfortunate passing. Mm -hmm. And this week, we're going to bring my personal favorite judge, Judge Stephanie Burke of Jefferson County District Court. And Stephanie, you can introduce yourself. Thank you for the introduction. (laughs) I'm Judge Stephanie Burke, and I'm a Jefferson District Court judge in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm a mental health court judge, and also I serve in our Jefferson County Drug Court. So Stephanie's here today to talk about something a little different, um, something we haven't done on this show and something that's a little different than what other shows are talking about. And today she wanted to talk with everyone about Constitutional Amendment 2. So Stephanie, can you tell us what that is? Well, I am the vice president of the Kentucky District Judges Association. And our association, along with District Judges for a Better Commonwealth, which is our political arm, is supporting Constitutional Amendment 2. Typically, you would not hear judges um, supporting political measures, but our associations have sought uh, permission from the Judicial Conduct Commission to advocate and campaign for Constitutional Amendment 2 because it is a measure to advance and promote um, the judiciary. Constitutional Amendment 2 will increase the experience required of candidates for district court judge. Presently, candidates are only required to have two years of experience. The amendment raises that requirement to eight years. Every other level of court in Kentucky's unified court system, which would be your circuit court, family court, court of appeals, and Supreme Court, is required, those candidates are all required to have eight years of experience, but district court only requires two. And this amendment would raise the requirement for district judges to also have eight, so everyone would be on the same plane. So why do you think it's important for judges to, why should we make this change? Why do we need to move it from two? We have plenty of judges who maybe they felt as soon as they came out of law school that they always wanted to be a judge. So why do they need to wait eight years instead of two? Well, without question, any candidate for a judicial office should be experienced. They should be an experienced attorney. Um, The depth and breadth of their experience um, and the confidence that they have performed um, their duties should be considered. the citizens of the of the Commonwealth are more likely to come in contact with a district court judge than any other elected official. As a Kentuckian, if you're an adult, and unfortunately even if you're a child, you are more likely to come in contact with a district court judge frequently. And 
you know, maybe often in your lifetime um, for many different reasons. Our jurisdiction is very broad. Um, families and children, um, we handle juvenile court. Um, we don't just handle criminal court and traffic court. We handle all probate matters, all mental health courts, um, guardianship court, probate, small claims, juvenile, um, all civil cases up to $5,000. We handle all violations and city ordinances. I mean, so everything, pretty so much. Everything, yes. yeah. so, and so district court doesn't look like, when the judicial article was passed in 1974, what it did was it repealed and replaced the judicial article at the time, and it created our modern unified court system. And at the time, that was very progressive. Uh, before that, you had counties had kind of hodgepodges of um, city courts and mayor's courts and you had police courts and um, and there was there was a lot of corruption in in the counties and the county judge executive was a very powerful position and at the time of the passage of the judicial article when there was huge opposition from the association of the county judge executives. They didn't want to lose that power that they had. So what were they doing? What were, what did a county judge executive do before this passed? Well, the county judge executive had judicial powers. Uh, they didn't have to be a lawyer, but they had judicial powers. And, you know, it was the good old boy network back then. <laughs> You know, and back then, back then, <laughs> 45 years ago. Stop it. <laughs> I mean, it's funny when you say that 1975 is 45 years ago, uh, showing my age, but it, it was different. It was not the court system that you see today. And so by creating this unified court system in the district court, it, it initially, all of the courts would have had eight year terms, but the trade off um, in the negotiating during the um, during the legislative process, they reduced the term of the district court to four years so that it would not be longer than the term of the county judge executive, whose position was going to become a ministerial position. Mm -hmm. um, they did also let them keep the power to perform weddings. Oh. So that was nice of them. Um, yeah, it was nice of them. <laughs> so they can still marry people. So that that was a trade-off. Um, the article, um, the amendment was actually at that time was the second amendment on the ballot in in 1974, and it passed overwhelmingly in um, Jefferson County and Fayette County, but out in the out in the state, it it did not. Uh, but it you know it passed with such a margin in the the larger counties that um, that it passed, and. Um, so this time um, around, you know, we're hoping that our, you know, we're focusing our efforts statewide to try to educate people about the amendment. Unfortunately, during the legislative session in 2020, um, when the amendment came about as House Bill 405, COVID, you know, COVID, you know, arose and <laughs> disrupted, disrupted the legislative process and sure. everything else. <laughs> yes. And shut down the legislative process briefly. And, and so the amendment did not, uh, House Bill 405 did not get the publicity that it would have in, in you know, normal circumstances. Um, it had already passed the House uh, at the time that the legislature had to go home for a period of time. Um, when they came back, um, 
you know, at that time there were many proposed amendments in the session. Many of them were very controversial, um, but all others kind of fell at the wayside um, in the legislature, made that a priority. Um, it was, it passed overwhelmingly uh, in both the House and the Senate, had overwhelming bipartisan support um, as a good government measure. Um, it was a legislative priority because of the other thing that it does, the amendment does not only raise the experience required of candidates for district judge, but it also increases the term limit of the Commonwealth attorney from six years to eight years, and it increases the term of the district judge from four years to eight years. And there's a rationale behind that. Um, when you read the language on the ballot, um, it starts out with, um, the ballot language starts out saying, are you in favor of changing the term of the Commonwealth's attorney from six years to eight years beginning in 2030? And that's going to throw a lot of people off because they're only going to see, um, you know, they're only going to talk, see the extension of the terms and they, they, you don't get down until farther, much farther down in the language of the ballot language to where you get to the experience portion uh, about raising the experience. So it's, it's pretty convoluted on the ballot. But the rationale um, in the need to increase the term of the Commonwealth attorney from six years to eight years is because of the necessity of aligning the races of prosecutors and judges across the Commonwealth for purposes of redistricting or recircuiting. In the process of redistricting or drawing the circuits, uh, judicial districts or judicial circuits across the Commonwealth, you, those are drawn just like, you know, legislative districts. It's based on uh, population um, or need. And so the portion which requires that the terms be extended to eight years uh, for Commonwealth attorneys is based upon the fact that there are circuits or districts across the Commonwealth that are, are out of balance. Um, the Supreme Court uh, performs workload studies. Uh, the courts do workload studies uh, periodically to show um, what the need is of particular districts. And so they then make a recommendation um, and certify to the legislature, to the General Assembly, what the necessity is for um, maybe redistricting in a certain area. Uh, you may you have multi-county districts um, out in the state, and you may have three judges in one district um, that covers you know two counties, and you may have three counties in another district that can, you know covers four counties, and you may need to adjust that and move a judge over or move a county over. Yeah, it doesn't seem equitable right now. Right. It, it, yes, but there are areas where it is not equitable, where where there's underrepresentation uh, of judicial resources. So the resources need to be moved by redrawing of the lines. You cannot do that. Um, well, what would happen is the Supreme Court is required to certify to the legislature the need to do that. And then the legislature does that through legislation. The problem is that when they do that, it would you would do it at a time when you would have an election. So you would redraw the line and then you would have the election for that new district. 
But because the terms of the prosecutors are six years and the judges are eight years, when they certify the need, they don't line up. And because of the misalignment of the prosecutor and the judge, they can't redraw the lines. So it's not going to line up again until 2030. That's why it says 2030 in that first line. So right now you have a um, number of Commonwealth attorneys across the state who are not very popular. So we're getting some, we're getting some negative feedback, um, you know, on social media and stuff, but people say they don't want their Commonwealth attorney to have an eight-year term. They don't want to extend the term of their Commonwealth attorney. The likelihood is that that won't happen because they won't have the same Commonwealth attorney in 2030. There's two elections before then for Commonwealth attorney. They'll be in 2024 and then in 2030. So if you don't like your Commonwealth attorney right now, chances are it's not going to be the same person in 2030. You're listening to We and You here on Ford Radio 106.5 FM and FordRadio.org. So with things being as they are right now, how do you... Um, and we talk a lot about fairness and equity and, and being mindful of some of the things happening right now in society. How do we um, talk about the just thinking in general right now about extending terms of prosecutors? And, why, and I'll come back to this on uh, for judicial, for uh, judicial candidates, but is there a benefit what benefit could we find in terms of fairness for having a prosecutor who has a longer term? Well, like I said, it all is about the redrawing of the circuit. It's all about recircuiting and redistricting. They have to match. You have to marry the two terms um, of the prosecutor and the judge. And the circuit judge has an eight-year term. Um, you have to marry the two terms so that they're on the same cycle so that you can redraw um, at the time of their elections. So it's, it's surely that simple. Um, and the underrepresentation of judicial resources, I think, outweighs any objection someone might have right. to their prosecutor having two more years of their term. Um, I think they would much rather have um, adequate judicial resources in their jurisdiction. Um, then, you know, maybe have a prosecutor for two more years and they might want that one person. Um, you need to have enough judges in your county so that your people get justice and they get ad access to justice. If you don't, ha for example, you know, we have counties, um, you know, who are adding family courts or adding more, you know, more judges. And um, there's not, they're not going to increase the number of judges in the state. They're only going to move them from jurisdiction to jurisdiction right. based upon where they're needed. They're not going to say, okay, we're just going to create new judgeships. So in we have 115 district court judges in Kentucky, and we handle over 700,000 new cases each year. Yeah. It's extraordinary <laughs> workload. And so... If you redrew the lines, there's still going to be 115, no matter how you draw them. So just, but if you 
you know, if the population shifts and if the workload shifts, it'll be redrawn so that you, you get, you have enough what you need in your jurisdiction. So people should care about this and want this to pass so they know that in their region, they're going to have the resources that they, that, that it's certified by the Supreme Court that is needed. And, and they study this very closely. I mean, the workload study, studies are very meticulous. Um, they've also had the National Center for State Courts come in and do studies to, to look at the same thing because redistricting has been a big issue in the state. Underrepresentation of judicial resources should be someone's concern. You know, we have people say, well, you know, it takes too long to get, you know, to get a hearing date or it takes too long for me to, you know, to get my cases resolved. Well, you might be in a county where <laughs> you need more resources mm -hmm. and it can't happen because they can't redraw the lines because the terms are misaligned. So Brittany has said a couple times on this show that she doesn't speak legal. <laughs> and so you mentioned some of the things or some of the types of cases that you hear as a district court judge. And you talked about probate, mental health. Um, I know that you do drug court. Uh, could you explain more of what those actually mean, just so people right. know how they probably come in contact with district judges? All right. So if you're so if you are an adult, you are most likely going to know someone who passes away um, when someone dies, um, and you die without a will, or or even with a will, you um, you have to go to probate court if you have any assets, um, and so you might have to end up in probate court because your, your spouse or your family member passes away. Um, you also, if you have a loved one who has suffered a traumatic brain injury or been in an accident and they can't care for themselves or they have some type of, um, you know, dementia uh, and they can't care for themselves and take care of themselves anymore and make decisions for themselves, you know, to manage their finances and you need the authority to do that for them, you may have to go to court and get guardianship. And um, we, ha we handle thousands of guardianship cases in this county and that's one of my roles in mental health court. Um, if you have a mental, or if you have a family member who is mentally ill, um, you know, our mental health courts would handle involuntary commitments of the seriously mentally ill um, our caseloads have skyrocketed um, during the COVID-19 crisis, um, during this pandemic. And we have, you know, you might end up just being in front of a district court judge uh, because of something like that. It isn't just when people get in trouble that you end up in court. You know, we just don't, we're not just there because of, you know, misdemeanors and felonies and traffic. We're there for a lot of things that pertain to families. And we handle all juvenile matters, uh, which is a, also another very broad um, scope of things. It can, yes. um, you know, abuse and neglect, um, child support. Uh, it's, just, it's endless what the different types of cases that you could come before a district court judge being civil and criminal. Um, you also, if you have... Um, if you have some type of, you know, if you need some issue with like a housing code violation or something um, along those lines, if you're a property owner, chances are you're going to have issues with district court or you're going to need something with district court. If you have somebody that, you know, doesn't 
pay you uh, if you're an, you're an employed or they owe you money or you hire someone to you know repave your driveway and you pay them and they don't do the job you might have to go to small claims court <laughs> I mean you just never know um, the, the things that we do are just endless and you really need someone who has a breadth of experience to to handle that job so the experience is really important so and, and that's kind of where I wanted to go with that the experience and seeing all the different ways that people can come in contact with a judge like you um, and thinking of the things that we talk about and that we focus on around equality equity fairness um, how in those situations that you hear how does that extra six years out of law school how does that help you as a judge to decide or really do your job in those situations well experience experience matters uh, you know when you're when you're fresh out of law school um, you know you haven't represented clients or tried cases or been in front of a judge um, you you don't you may not have gained the empathy or the ability to sit on the other side of that bench mm -hmm. Um, but you gain um, empathy um, over time in the practice of law. If, I mean, if you're, if you're doing the type of law um, that you would be the type of person that's going to run for district court judge, if you've, if you've been practicing for eight years, you've had experience that, and you make the decision to run for district court judge, you're going to have somebody who really wants to be a district court judge. Yeah. Um, by raising the experience requirement from two years to eight years, you're going to get the best and the brightest because in an eight years of time of practicing law, people are either, they're going to find what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And if they are choosing after eight years of practice to be a district court judge, knowing you know <laughs> the depth that comes with mm -hmm. it of and you know that's somebody that really wants to do that type of work and it, it is you know to practice in all of those areas dealing with the societal issues that we deal with which are mental health and and poverty and um, addiction you know a lot of it is is not pretty it's really hard work and it takes special people uh, it takes people who really want to work you know with people you know, if you, you know, there's the, the old saying among lawyers that if you, if you want to work with lawyers, you know, if you want to work with lawyers, you know, then you'd be a circuit judge. If you want to work with the people, you know, then you, then you'd be a district judge because we work with people every day. Um, I cannot tell you just how many people you see a day in district court. It can, it can be hundreds. Um, the caseloads are so extraordinary. Um, I had 28 mental health hearings today. Wow. Mm, 28 he hearings. <laughs> 28 hearings um, in mental health court today. And so if you imagine, just extrapolate that out um, over my 10 years on the bench. Um, oh, 10 years. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I sat in criminal court for many years. Um, I've been in mental health court. I've been a drug court judge since 2012. You know, the number of lives that, you know, you touch in, in that time, it's, it's unbelievable.
I was just curious based off of what you just said, like uh, the number of lives that you touch. So how likely are you, especially being segmented to a district, um, to see the same families and the same people coming into your courts? Well, the way that um, it, it works in Jefferson County, we have 17 district court judges. Mm-hmm. We all run countywide. Mm-hmm. So we all, okay. you know, we all run all across the, you know, we're not divided up into different parts of the county. We're all countywide. Okay. So we all, um, because our, our county is so big and the workload in this county um, in, is so voluminous, um, we rotate among different divisions. So there's a probate division, there's a small claims division, a civil division, a mental health division, 10 criminal divisions, juvenile division. Um, so the, the district judges rotate through those divisions. Um, over the years, I mean, I can't even tell you how many thousands of people, um, when you're sitting in the criminal courts, you may have a couple hundred cases a day, every day. Um, we also, we, um, here in Jefferson County, we have night courts. Um, we do night traffic court. Uh, we also have court on Saturday. We have arraignment court on Saturday mornings. We have special courts when, you know, when we have big events in the city, like Derby, we have extra courts that we do on the weekends of Derby. Um, so it's a big job. We also have duty call, which means it's 24 hour on call, where if you're the duty judge, you review bonds or any uh, mental health emergency court orders, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any emergency court orders that come in, um, EPOs, IPOs, um, emergency custody orders, all those things that come in, um, in that 24 hour period that you're on call and you rotate that, um, you're just, you're, you're busy that whole time, um, reviewing all of those. And it's a big job. It's a big responsibility. It, it's an ex- extraordinary responsibility. And with issues like bail reform, um, and criminal justice reform, you know, those are issues that you really need to understand and you only learn those things through experience. So when you were elected for your, your first time as a judge, mm-hmm. how long have you been practicing? 15 years. And in most states, 10 to 15 years is normal. Uh, most states require 10 to 15 years of experience, some even more. Um, but, you know, in Kentucky, it's eight for every other jurisdiction, and for district court, it's only two. And our associations have, um, you know, sought to raise that requirement to eight, um, commensurate it with every other level of court. The, the extension of the terms was a legislative priority, uh, and because all of the issues were related um, to the same articles in the Constitution, they put it all together in one amendment. So this amendment, um, if someone or when someone, we're not going to say if everybody's going to vote, anyone who listens to this has to vote, um, (laughs) when this person decides to vote, how do they find the amendment? You need to turn your ballot over. There's a back? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, every time I've ran for judge, uh, the judges are always on the back of the ballot. So flip your ballot over and there will be actually on Jefferson County, there's some um, there's more than just the constitutional amendment. There's also a tax levy um, on some of the Jefferson County ballots as well. And, And some of the other counties, there's other things as well on the back. But the constitutional amendments 
which there are two, are on the back of the ballot in their entirety. They are printed in their entirety. They are long. They are uh, somewhat um, difficult and arduous to read. Um, so that's why we are, you know, mounting this campaign to try to educate people just what it means so they'll know before they even walk into the ballot box that it's something that they're for. Um, and does someone have to speak legal to <laughs> be able to vote on that amendment on the back? This is going to be your new hashtag. I it think is. I need to, like, trademark that. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, the language of the two constitutional amendments, as they are worded on the ballot, they are, it is complicated. Uh, I would say that some people are going to read it, um, and I can tell you that lots of people have read it in you know, we've seen lots of questions and comments um, and misstatements hmm. after people have read it. Um, one of the things we have seen, people says, oh, well, it, it's raising the residency requirement. It's talking about the residency, like people really read it and don't understand what it means. So, um, and they only, they think it only has to do with extending terms of Commonwealth attorneys. I saw last night, actually, you know, on KET, uh, Renee Shaw had um, up on the screen that it was about the county attorneys, <laughs> and it, it um. was not a. And the, I mean that was that was wrong. The language was inaccurate. So there's a lot of inaccuracies out there and misstatements about what it does. But it raises the experience requirement for district judges. Um, that is really important. That should be the most important thing it does to everyone. Um, that should be why people vote for it because of the fact that you know, the likelihood that you come in contact with right. the district judge is really high and you want that to be your, you know, you want those to be your most experienced judges and that you want those candidates to be qualified. And you definitely want them to have empathy because yes. that's important. Yes. And yeah, and you want them to have had years in practice so that they make good decisions. Um, you also want it to be somebody that's in that position for the right reason. Um, and years of experience, you know, you gain that. You gain, you know, a thoughtful decision-making process once you've had a lot of years in practice. But the other issue of extending the terms is also important. Um, it's important for the, the Commonwealth attorneys to extend that to eight years because it, it, it's, it's a necessity. You have to do that in order to redraw the lines. So that's a legislative priority. So that's got to happen as far as they're concerned. Supreme Court says it's a necessity. The legislature says it's a necessity. The executive committee, you know, the executive branch would, would look at this and say, this saves money because you're aligning the races of all of the judges. Um, so you Saving sa money is good. So savings <laughs> money is good. But the other thing about, about extending the terms of the judges, if you extend, in, in all fairness, as a district court judge, running races every four years is a huge burden and a lot of people who might be a really well qualified candidate at eight years <laughs> um, <laughs> might look at the position and say that running every four years would be something that would turn them away from it because mm. it's so expensive yes. to run races Very. and judges can't raise money like partisan candidates can. You can't ask for money. It's it's difficult to raise money, and you end up having to self-fund your races or your races. 
And district judges make the least of all of the levels of court. So not only do you make the least, but then you have to spend the most to, you know, to be reelected. So you're, you're really at a disadvantage, and it's, it's somewhat unfair. Yeah, requiring self-funding especially, that's a, a vast barrier to entry right there. Yeah, so you're not going to get the people you want. I mean, it, it is, it's a huge right. barrier. You're not going to get the people you want if you don't raise the experience and increase the term. If you really want the best and the brightest, you need to do both. Right. And, and then... Once you get the best and the brightest, you're going to want them for eight-year terms, and you're, you know, in in the in the issues and the concerns that people have go away because you're going to like who you elect, you know, you're going to you're going to be happy with who you elect. Um, so it it is it is a benefit because you want to attract good quality candidates who really want to do the work. So Stephanie, what you're talking about, um, you know. It, it is sounds like really heavy work, right? Um, as Terrence has pointed out in a couple of the episodes now, if not everyone, um, I'm a licensed mental health provider myself. So I, I definitely understand some heavy work. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, on that end, what kind of cases impact you the most? <laughs> well, you asked that at a really, uh, um, so last night we, uh, I had a, we had a drug court graduation and we had 12 graduates and we also for the first time in the eight years that i've been a drug court judge um, i had to give um, recognize someone posthumously um, because i lost a graduate um, in august and um, we had five in this time, we had five that we have lost since the COVID pandemic has shut down the courts. So that um, it's tough times. Yeah. Um, and those types of cases, you know, obviously it's very personal. Yeah. Um, the young woman who I uh, lost that was in my drug court, um, you know, I had, she had been in my program for five years. Um, um, you know, we see them every week. You know, how many people in your life do you see every week? You don't even see your friends that often. Yeah. Um, so they're like family, you know, she, she, it was, she was like mine and, um, her children, uh, she had been able to get back with her children and, you know, get her own place. And she was been sober for a long time. She was doing really good. Um, and then after she passed, um, you know, I went to speak with her children, and they asked me to do her service. So oh, um, that is, um, you know, th what we do, you know, we may be a, a lower court in the scheme of it, but what we do, um, the scope of what we do is in no way um, any less um, in what it means to the people that we serve. Um, there is no um, limit. Uh, we may be the court of limited jurisdiction, but there isn't any limit on what we do um, to serve the citizens of Kentucky. That's powerful. Thank you for, for taking that time to, to talk to us about that and to tell us um, that story. I know a lot of people 
who, um, some that do interact with courts and some that don't, you know, they look at that as being just this person on this, on the bench, right? This person that, um, might not really care, but what you're expressing right now is that there is a lot of space that, um, comes together over time and sometimes you end up working with people for a really long time and mm-hmm. you're impacting their lives mm-hmm. as we're, we're wrapping up but i did want to say something based off of you mentioning the bench stephanie something that or Brittany, something that i know that you do um to come off of the bench um can you just say something about why you do that especially with some of the drug <clears throat> sorry some of the drug court or just when you don't speak to them from behind the bench, but as a person. So in my drug court program, I don't sit on the bench and I don't That's wear, beautiful. and I don't wear a robe. Um, I sit in the courtroom, um, at a table in the middle of the room with them and we talk across the table. Um, and they all sit, you know, all the participants come to court each week together and they're in the room. And then one by one, they come up and I have a conversation with each one individually. And then my team, which is a treatment team, uh, which consists of an officer um, and a prosecutor and a public defender and three clinical um, individuals, case specialist and a caseworker. And they all sit at a table over to the side. Okay. But I sit at a table across from the, the client. And, and then... We, we talk. And I mentioned that just because circling back to what you said about empathy and experience. And mm-hmm. I, I believe that that comes from a place of empathy and understanding how you can be a little bit more relational if you actually talk to them as people. And that's the type of thing I feel like you're talking about. I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like that's kind of what you, what you feel is that empathy and experience matters in yeah. someone who's on the bench. In our, in the you know, in a drug court program, in a treatment program, which is a specialty court, um, the you know I ex- you know I tell them up front what I expect of them. It, I'm very honest with them, um, and very straightforward and very blunt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we get to know just all there is to know about them, and um, they confide. You know, you know the. In the first few weeks, normally that's the time that you know is called their um, their phase one, and really you see the buy-in over just the the initial weeks um, because they're bonding with us, and they see that we want to help them, and mm-hmm. they see that they can trust us, and they see that I'm sitting at the table with them, and I'm asking them questions that they won't wouldn't expect a judge to ask them, um, and they they learn you know day one that I expect them to be honest. And as long as they're honest with me, they can tell me anything. Um, but if they're not honest, then that's when accountability becomes an issue. But it's um, the process really works. You know, it, it works. Drug, mm-hmm. drug court works. Um, if anybody who knows me or ever follows <laughs> me on social media, um, it, it works. And I'm proud of that work. So, it, But you really have to, you know, if you, if you want to do this job... Um, you're going to be a lot better of, at it if you've practiced law for, you know, and you've represented. I represented people who were in their shoes for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I represented poor people and people who um, 
didn't have means and who suffered from alcohol, you know, addiction and drug addiction and had mental illness. And so all of that experience, um, you know, made me want to do this job. I love that. I, I love that. But being a person for the people, right? Um, do you, do you have support? We do. Um, so the Kentucky District Judges Association, which is all the judges in, these, in the state, we came out in support of the amendment. Um, and the, you know, we have a political arm, of which is a um, voluntary organization, which is District Judges for a Better Commonwealth. Um, we strongly support the amendment, and obviously we went so far as to go to the Judicial Conduct Commission to get uh, permission to advocate for um, for the amendment because we believe that it is, you know, advances the judiciary and is a um, improvement for the judiciary and the courts and got permission to do that because they believed that it was not a partisan political issue, that it was for the advancement of the courts, and therefore they gave us permission to campaign um, for it, for the amendment. So um, you have that support. But the Louisville Bar Association um, came out in favor and has endorsed the amendment. Um, and that's 4,000 members of, you know, that's a voluntary association. Um, the Commonwealth Attorneys Association obviously supports the bill as well. So we've, we've had, you know, in the legal community, we have strong support. Yeah, that's great. Support um, is good. <laughs> <laughs> it's necessary. Yes. So, and I think that, that that should be important to people that the legal community supports it. And particularly when you look at the Louisville Bar Association, because it was their board of directors who considered, um, you know, that we went, that I went to and presented um, the amendment to them and asked for their support and for them to endorse it so that they would educate people about it because we knew we would have difficulty getting information out to there when, you know, you can't really go out to places and talk to people in person. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of publicity during the legislative session because of COVID. Everybody was only concerned about that. So nobody really heard much about this um, like they would have maybe in a different time. So we went to them and their board of directors is very large and it truly is the most experienced attorneys in the city. Um, there, it's, it's a it's a very prestigious group of individuals. Um, I was really proud to have you know to present to them and have them you know vote to support this. So that it says a lot that they supported it. It really does, and um, you know I'm going to be transparent as I have been. I've been one of those voters that uh, looked at an amendment on the back of a ballot and had no idea what it said. Um, only to find out that I voted the wrong way um, afterwards, um, not the way that I would have had I understood the language a little bit more. So um, in mind with that, where could I go to find out more information about this amendment? So you can go to www.raisethebarky.com. Okay. So it's Raise the Bar Kentucky. That is our campaign slogan. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, uh, Raise the Bar Kentucky, um, and you can go there as well. We have, uh, there's a video, uh, a four-minute video in there where I'm explaining about the bill. Um, and I say the bill, I mean the amendment. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get from see? talking about yeah. the bill to now the yeah. actual amendment. Yeah. Yes. How, it was House Bill 405, <laughs> and now it's Constitutional Amendment 2. But um, so you can go to either the Facebook page um, or to the website. 
and um, look at the, the video and used also, there's an article uh, called Experience Matters. Um, we've sent that out to all the newspapers across the state, hopefully that they'll print it. Some of them are printing it as an op-ed. Um, and so that's on there as well. Um, and you can always reach out to, to your district judges because okay. uh, many of you or any of us on the executive committee for the District Judges Association, we're happy to, to answer questions and talk with you. Wonderful. Thank well, you. <clears throat> thank you, Judge Burke, for taking time to come and talk to us about this important amendment. And I, thank you for having me. And hopefully uh, we can talk again and you can tell us about your uh, success party after you you know after the election and constitutional amendment two has gone maybe the way that you've hoped well you can't be doing that right now <laughs> <laughs> there's no parties but uh I, i'll tell you we might have you know we've had a whole lot of zoom meetings <laughs> so yeah so well thank you very much it's been really nice to talk with you and we really appreciate the opportunity to get um to get the information out to voters so thank you stay tuned for more radio from the people by the people here on your grassroots community station, WFMP Louisville. As a reminder, any views expressed on the program do not represent those of Forward Radio or its board of directors. So that was Jefferson County District Court Judge Stephanie Burke. And I guess what I wanted to, thought we should maybe cover is really just your reaction. Um, what you thought maybe was the most important thing that you heard. I would say that it was really important to identify what it is that district courts cover um, and the vastness of impact that the district court has the ability to provide to our communities because of all of the different types of cases and clients that they're working with. Yeah. Um, you know, I, as you said earlier, I, I don't speak legal. So as much as I knew that specific types of cases went to specific courts, um, I was not aware that so much went to district court. Um, I've worked within child abuse sector and I've worked within the substance use sector. Um, so I knew that those two did, but, um, there are a lot of other pieces and components right. there. So judges are, are truly seeing, goodness, it feels like it should be everybody in the <laughs> city, right? Um, and that was surprising. Um, I, The number of cases, she said 115 district judges that are working through 700,000 cases in this state is just <laughs> mind-boggling. I can't stop hearing those numbers run through my head and just trying to fathom how <laughs> um especially you know like you said we just had this conversation about rbg and her nonstop work last week and and that's kind of how i'm feeling about all the judges at this <laughs> point my goodness it's nonstop. Um, and I, I was very, very impressed with that, and I was very impressed with Judge Burke and um, all of her insight and input and empathy. Yeah. Especially her empathy. Yes, for sure. Um, I, 
I guess right now you would be willing to commit on the air that you were not running for judge. <laughs> uh, I don't commit to things well when it's what I'm not going to do. Oh, so there's still a chance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you never know. I, you know. We'll see where the world takes me. I've already done a huge career shift here. Um, never thought I'd be on the radio. So, Fair. Um, let's see. No. <laughs> Who wants to back me? No, I'm just kidding. I can't, I can't say that. Well, <laughs> you can because there's no official campaign yet. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> we just got to get you in law school, through law school. There Look, you, you know I'm already looking. <laughs> we'll talk about that. You definitely should not. Um, <laughs> no, I think one of the more interesting things that we talked about was the... I don't think many people know, first off, how little experience is needed right now to be a judge. And especially with the mass or the volume of cases that they hear and the diversity of what they hear it's I can understand a push for increasing the needed experience for such an important position um, I also think that it like you said it was good to hear more of what they do and a lot of people don't know what judges do especially people who um, well, they know what judges do, but maybe not what the delineation is between a circuit judge or a district judge, mm-hmm. or if you are outside of Jefferson County, um, a judge executive, mm-hmm. which is really one of the reasons they, from that explanation, that that law was even being proposed. Um, and what do you know what a judge executive does? I do not. Did you see my eyes get big? <laughs> I know the folks that are listening over the radio right now did. So the Jefferson County judge executive, first off, is still an elected position. It pays an annual salary of $1. Oh. Um, you don't really do much in Jefferson County because they stripped all of the powers away because of our um, government system. However, in smaller areas... The judge executive is basically, it's kind of like the mayor, um, but they run or facilitate the city government. And in the past, until recently, um, the judge executive also could serve as a judge uh, with zero legal training. So Brittany, as as she likes to do, could be speeding down the Waterson going 140. Um, she, she doesn't speed. She actually drives too slow. Um, we all have passed. <laughs> There's but, a reason why I drive too slow. <laughs> <laughs> but those, but those judges or the judge executives could have been in not the old days. It really wasn't too long ago. Um, in the position of being the judge in those types of cases, some of the things that district courts handle now. And so that was partly why um, some of the rules were changed when they shifted some of the roles of the judge executive. Um, And a lot of people who I've talked to from more rural communities, that that word's so hard to say. Um, You had it. You did great. I did it, yes. Um, People from more rural communities, they might view... Uh, I've heard them refer to the judge executive as judge, and then that gets very confusing 
Um, but some of them may not have an actual sitting judge. Um, and so that's the only judge they really know of because we still live in a state where judges do travel um, for places that don't necessarily have a judge. And so some places share a judge or two and then they're, they might have court in that county one day a week or twice a week, whereas in Jefferson County, we're every day. <laughs> um, I, I know that they have, like she talked about the court programs, the night court, um, the specialty courts like drug court, and then there's also teen court, which they have to oversee as well. And so, yeah, they do a lot, and it's hard sometimes without someone explicitly saying what the judges do to get a handle on the vastness of their work. So, you know, that I just keep coming back to that question then. It is a vastness of work, so I, I, I guess we have that hit-the-ground-running type of aspect in that work. Um, yeah. But is hitting the ground running in two years enough to... Right, yeah, it's... Man, I will say this. I had nobody's business two years out of law school to do any of that stuff. And um, I had the pleasure of sitting at the bench with Judge Burke in that part of my life. (laughs) And um, I remember being there for a trial, a criminal trial, and thinking, no, I'm good. I don't ever want to do this. Um, it it's a lot you have a mm-hmm. lot on your shoulders and you have to make very important decisions in a very short amount of time really mm-hmm. because you see so much in one day anybody 28 um, cases on the docket in a day oh that's a light that's, that, that was just she said? that was just for mental oof, inquest oof. Um, an actual so if you go to d- district court on a non-covid time uh, I remember one time I sat with her and she had a hundred and like 107 or something um, cases that day. And that was before the one o'clock break. And then they come back and they might have 50 more. And so it's it's a lot. I mean, you think of all the district court sees all the speeding tickets, for example. Well, those are called court cases. And so so district court really does see pretty much everyone. And it's giant caseload and so I don't you know my hat's off to them and mm-hmm. they do a great job and we will um, check back in in November with Judge Burke and see what you all decide <laughs> exactly how much experience should someone have before being a district judge and how long should their terms last I guess we will see During this pandemic, you may experience increased stress, fear, anxiety, isolation, or concern with addictions. If you are having trouble with any of these issues, please feel free to reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. This is We and You. We care about you.